here this morning, and I think I've got the lavalier turned on. Is that correct? Let's see. Testing. One, two. Yes. If we turn it up a little bit, that'd be great. We are glad that you're here and hope that you've survived Christmas. And it's good that we see some children with us today. And so at this time, if you're ready to go, Taryn's already. She's gone. <laughs> Any other children that need to be taken out? Okay. Baby's right here. Gail is right over here. Gail Andrews for the younger ones. We have a room ready for them, and so they can come on over here. <laughs> Let the good times begin. <laughs> it's been a really very, very busy week for our family. Uh, right after Christmas, our son David, who many of you know from here, we went to Boy Scout camp for six days in the cold up in northeast Texas. Um, I'm too old for this anymore, but <laughs> it was 30 degrees, and I had on three different kinds of socks, and I was still cold. And then the coyotes started going during the night. Then the donkey started going. And then out of nowhere, somebody started playing music, Christmas carols, at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And so my excuse was, I have to go home and preach. I would love to be here with all you guys. But I better come home and preach or they might fire me. And that worked, by the way, so I got to come back. So, oh, one more loss over there. Okay, over this way, buddy. Right down that way. No, no, coming back. It was a short service, wasn't it? Okay. And then I'm going back tomorrow morning with Dave, and we'll have another couple days. They're supposed to get colder. I know last summer we were there, last winter when we were there, it was 11 degrees. And that was just too much for me. Anyways, David loves it. It's good for our family, and we're thankful for it. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we are here today, coming to the end of another year, very aware of your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you, Father, for what you've done, how you have worked in our lives and our congregation and what you're doing now. And in your faithfulness, what we have seen, gives us courage and strength for what comes in this coming year. We thank you, Father, for the scriptures that you've given us. Thank you that we can be fully aware of your scriptures and to give ourselves fully to them, to know that it's not just the words of men, but the words of God. So be with us and help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you know, we've been going through the Advent thing, and of course we got this winter event, which means we did not have church. But I already had my message half done, and I still think it's worth talking about, and so that's what we want to do this morning. We're a little bit late on Advent, but we're glad that we could be here to do that. And so we want to look at a passage of scriptures and several passages, and we're dealing again with that Advent theme that talks about peace. That's a hard one in one sense. In one sense, everybody knows what peace is. But on the other hand, it's an awful a difficult one as well. We live in a world where there's a lot of peace at times, but sometimes there's not either. In fact, if you been watching the news and things that are going on. There's been a lot of things that have been happening. On Christmas time, the new Pope, Pope Francis, of course, prayed for peace around the earth and things like that. And it's a surreal, wonderful thing to pray for, to pray for peace. But the reality is that there's not a lot of peace. I don't know if you looked at the news this morning. Um, in in um, coming, I mean, in um, outside of Moscow, there was what they called a Black Widow. She was a Chechen woman carrying um, 
bombs. And she came on a bus and blew herself up with the bus and killed 18 people and wounded many, many others. This is a thing that's been happening a lot in this part. A lot of Chechen rebels are doing that. The men were getting caught, so now they're having the women blow themselves up. And so here we are in a time when we talk about peace, and we realize around the world there's not a lot of peace. If you look what's going on in Syria now for almost three years, and you see the struggles and the suffering that people are going through, it's hard to talk about peace in a world when there's so much sorrow. And yet as Christians, we have to be very aware to say, you know, there is peace in different ways. We have to kind of slice it up a little way and say, in what way do we experience peace or not experience peace? And that's what we want to do a little bit to explore that a little bit, what we mean by that. Because peace, if I said, explain peace to me, you'd all go, yeah, I can tell you peace. Peace is, well, it's probably like, you know, the opposite, I guess, is easy. It's not about war. When the war is over, then we have peace, and that's the thing that's important to us, and we're thankful for that. We're thankful that there's men and women that are out there now that are doing what the government feels like we need to do, and we honor that. But we realize there's just all around the world, there's a great lack of peace. And we have a world where there's so much we wish we could do to help others, but there's some things you just can't do when it's groups among tribes and people like that. And yet when we look at peace, we have to realize there are other ways we can think of peace that's really significant for us. For example, if you look at peace when we think about it in the sense of, um, in terms of relational peace. You know, for some people, Christmas is just one of the most happy days of the year. For some families, it's not the happiest day in the year. In fact, for some people, Christmas and things like New Year's can become very, very painful. Sometimes for some people, it brings up people that you don't spend any time with during the year, but you've got to be with them this time. And it sometimes brings in a lot of hurt, unresolved conflict, people that are struggling, people that are hurting. And it does happen. And we have it among people. They have relational problems where you just kind of lose it. Some people, just in the midst of all that's going on, it just is overwhelming to them, and they struggle with that. But the peace we want to talk about here is another type of peace. It's the peace that we have within that sometimes is so easy to lose. For example, you know we just had a great Christmas. I'm sure many of you spent a significant amount of money on gifts. Maybe not. But, you know, it's easy to buy it. But what happens a month later when you get the credit card bill? Then you start thinking, maybe I really didn't need to buy that, or maybe I should not have bought that. And for many people, this time of year is now a time of their concerning. Like we're already deep in debt, and we spent too much money, and it can bring conflict. But the other thing that happens is for many people, it's that internal lack of peace that is so hard. We've just coming out of it seems like after a very, very difficult recession of four to six years. And we have a lot of people saying, is there going to be a job for me in this next year? Will I be able to keep my job? And there's a lot of people who are, caring, are worried about what this new year is going to bring. Will there be internal peace in my heart of knowing that I'm safe and that things are going to be okay for my family? And for many people, they don't have that. And they don't have the peace that God can give. When we talk about peace here, we can do some other ways of peace that are very, very significant. And that's congregational peace. I mean, that's the peace that we should have as Christians. The peace, the fact that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Apostle Paul 
loves to use those words. You're a brother in Christ, sister in Christ. And I don't know about you, but I'm freezing up here. Um, so if anybody knows how to fix it, that would be great. Um, you all right there, Grace? Okay, great. But, uh, but congregational peace, I mean, is a thing that's very, very, can be very, very fragile, as many of us know so well. And it's interesting, I was reading an article in, in Christianity Today, and they were talking about how do you have peace in a congregation when there's struggling going on. And it was a guy who went to a church, and he was very thrilled to be there. He was the youth pastor and then associate pastor. Then he became the pastor. And he thought this was like the ideal church. Nothing could be better until about a year later when people were whispering and things were going on and things started going bad. And he talked about the fact that the struggle he went through. And finally, he said, I'm done. I've had it. I've had enough. And he resigned, knowing that maybe if he didn't resign, they might fire him. And it brought great strife to the congregation, those that were for him, those who were against. And it just seemed to multiply. And of course, what we know is every time that happens, Satan is right there trying to make it worse, trying to destroy. He's the destroyer the mocker, the one who would destroy that which would be of God. What was interesting in the article that this guy wrote, he asked this question. He said, how many denominations are there? So I'm going to ask you that question. His question was, how many denominations do you think there are in America and Canada? Think about it. <laughs> What's your guess? What they came up with, that there were 41,000 denominations. Now, again, a denomination could be you, your brother-in-law, and your sister-in-law. I mean, they call it a denomination. But still, if you ask that question, how many of those 41,000 came about because there were fights, arguments, and church splits? I would guess that is the majority, not the minority. And in many ways, it speaks very poorly of Christendom in America. That it could be, if it could really be that possible. Now, again, many of those 41,000 are small little groups. We know there's major denominations, some of them terrific, some of them that are not. But the reality is, is you would think if we're brothers in Christ who are going to spend all of eternity with each other in heaven, you think we could do better than that. Now, for some of us, it's like, I don't know about that forever in heaven because I don't want to be with my sister-in-law, da-da-da-da. You shouldn't have to worry about that. A heaven's going to take care and God's going to take care of all of that. But what it does speak, that one of the key things, if you read the Apostle Paul again and again, he talks about the importance of the body of Christ. He loves that, that metaphor of the body of Christ. And the reality of the fact that we sometimes have to humble ourselves. We have to deal with issues that are painful. And what happens, of course, when it doesn't, then we end up all these different groups, denominations. And it doesn't speak well to the world that looks at us and say, you know, what's wrong here? Why is it this church has gone through 10 different splits in the last 20 years? If Christ is really in our heart and we're trying to seek him, why would we have this thing happening? Now, again, Satan does everything he can to destroy. We know that. But sometimes it's too easy to say, well, the devil did it. Usually it's us who did it. And what's happening here, we want to have peace in a congregation. It means that there's a lot that's going to have to take for us. We have to really be able to give up a lot of maybe things that we want. 
Maybe it's things that we don't really care for. One of the big ones, of course, it's a big issue that always is in the churches now, it's been going on for over two decades, is the worship wars. What kind of music are you going to do? I was talking to a guy who um, said he went to a big church, um, not here, but Midwest, and he said they gave everybody earphones things so they would not have their ears blown out by the rock group that they had going on at the church. Now, some church, God uses that with people, and I'm grateful for that. But for a lot of people, this whole thing just seems crazy. What are we doing here? Why is it the body of Christ, we call it, he, Paul loves that metaphor, why is it so fractured? And of course, it is very, very difficult for us to be able to understand. In that article, they had an interesting thing. The guy said, one of the things we found in our studies is that one of the biggest causes of wrecked churches is hunger for power. Hunger for power. And it's so easy to see how that happens. Many of us, I, I guess I'm considered a red, that is, I mean, I, you know, I'm going for it, da-da-da-da kind of thing. But it's so easy to start pushing people away to get what we want, our desires, what we think should be done. And we start bullying other people until what we see that there's peace is being destroyed within congregations. You could go across America today and find churches that are in the midst of being destroyed. Yes, we can blame it on the devil. I'm sure he's there every time it goes on. But a lot of it's not the devil, it's us. The unwillingness to humble ourselves to others. An unwillingness to say, maybe I'm wrong and maybe you're right. And so when we talk about peace, for us particularly as a young congregation, not even quite two years yet, it's reminding ourselves just how fragile the body of Christ can be and how important it is for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, men and, white who, men and wives of men and women who have a love for Christ, to recognize, give it enough time, somebody here in this group is going to disappoint you. Could be me. Going to hurt you. Embarrass you. Do something that you don't appreciate. And the question that comes then, what do you do now? Now, some of you guys are thinking, yeah, I'm going to punch you in the head. That's what I'm going to do. No, that's not the answer. The question is, do I have the confidence, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to go to the person that hurt us and say, you know what, I was offended by what you said. Can we talk about that? Not in an accusatory way, not in a way of trying to hurt them, but say, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but what you said really hurt me deeply. Could we talk about it? As a congregation that's not quite two years, we say, oh, well, that happens in the big churches. It happens in big churches. It happens in medium churches. It happens in tiny churches. And as we're coming to the end of, of the second year, coming close to our being now a second year, it's a reminder again how fragile congregations can be, whether they're 20 or 20,000. It doesn't take much to see how Satan can work, and we, can, we work in our own fallenness to bring hurt and peace and to hurt to many, many people. And so when we talk about peace, congregational peace ought to be one of the things we pray for. And I'd be asking you during this next year coming up, as we Lord willing, as we continue to go on, that we'd be praying 
for the unity of the body of Christ in Grace Redeemer Church. We have been so blessed to this point, but we'd be fools to think that it could not happen to us. And it means we're making a commitment to Christ and a commitment to each other of saying, I care enough about one another and what God has called us to do that I'm willing at times to make the hard discussion with somebody, to be able to ask them for forgiveness, to ask them for clarity, because the stakes are so high. 41,000 denominations. I have to think that the vast majority, though, are churches that split, split, and split again. And what do unbelievers see when they see this? Oh, that's the church that's had 10 splits in the last eight years. Do you want to go to that church? God is calling us to a unity that we would find peace in our congregation. Let's go on a little bit. Peace. It's something we love. It's something we want to have, but it can be fragile. But the peace that I want to talk for a few minutes of this is about God's peace. That's the ultimate peace. The peace that only God can give us. It's a great passage. You know the passage. Many of you have read it many, many times. It's John chapter 14, a great chapter in that whole area. It's huge, important. And so it says this. I, it's David. I mean, excuse me. It's, it's what we have this passage here is um, John, and he's writing it for what the Lord has told him. Quote, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. This is Jesus speaking just before going to the cross. But the counselor... The Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name. He'll teach you all things and remind you of everything that I've told you. Now, one thing that's remarkable is that Jesus would be so concerned about teaching them when he knows that soon he's going to die. I think maybe there'd be other things you would think about, but he wants to make sure that you understand that even though he is leaving, the Holy Spirit is still going to be there to give you the peace that only God can give. And so as you go on this passage, there's this famous phrase right here, famous verse, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Your hearts must not be troubled and fearful. Now think about that. He says, I'm leaving. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can be also. But I'm not physically going to be with you anymore. And your seat searching for peace, I can give that to you. That is something I can give through my spirit, through the Holy Spirit. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. If we look in the hearts of every person in this room, what we find is there's people here that are fearful. What is this new year going to bring? What are the challenges? that I'm going to have to face? How am I going to provide for my family? Be a lot of us, if we could look into the hearts of each one of us, would find there's a lot of fear. And yet Jesus says, wait a minute, stop for a minute. My peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You know what? It's easy to read that verse, living it is the hard part. Believing that God really keeps his promises. Now most of us here have seen God use it. His promises have been so amazing that it's hard, easy for us to do that. But when it comes to us, it often has a different feel to it. 
Jesus said, peace I leave with you. Jonathan Edwards, America's probably greatest philosopher, pastor, theologian, uh, just an incredible man whose works are still being read. He wrote this, and again, this is in you know, the old English of the 17th, 18th century. But here's what he said. He's talking about the words that Jesus just said about, I leave my peace with you. So he's talking about this. These words of Jesus are a part of a most affectionate and affecting discourse that Christ had with his disciples the same evening in which he was betrayed, knowing that he was to be crucified the next day. I find that so fascinating that here are the things that Jesus is thinking about getting ready to be killed. And he's saying these words are part of the most affectionate and affecting discourse. And so he says, here's two things to be thinking about. One, notice that it was his own, his own peace. The peace that he had, he's willing to give to us. You don't have to borrow it. You don't have to rent it. He gives it to us through his spirit. That it was his own, that which he had to give. It was the peculiar benefit that he had to bestow on his children. Now he was about to leave the world as to his human presence. And then he said the second thing to notice, it was his peace. The peace that he gave them. As it was the same kind of peace which he himself enjoyed. That's amazing. The very peace that God the Father gave God the Son, God the Father, excuse me, God the Son is willing to give to us through the Holy Spirit. It's a very Trinitarian passage, if you notice it, by the way. The Father gives it to the Son. The Son is now giving the peace to the disciples, to the Spirit. And so he goes on to say, that same excellent and divine peace which we had, have ever had in God, which he is about to receive in his exalted state, that's the peace that God is willing to give you. Now think about that. The very peace that the Father gave the Son, the Son is willing to give it to you. Yes. That's a remarkable promise from God's word. And so he ends up his thing saying this. It's Jonathan Edwards. I invite you now to a better portion. There are better things provided for the sinful, miserable children of men. There is a surer comfort and a more durable peace, comfort that you may enjoy in a state of safety, on a sure foundation of peace and rest that you may enjoy with reason with your eyes open. You don't have to cut your, close your eyes and be afraid. You can live in confidence that the peace that the Father gave the Son, the Son is giving to you by the Spirit. It is his peace. He's got the ability to give it, and he'll give it to you when you need it. And if you read a lot of people's, people, a lot of writers and stuff, it's amazing over the centuries how people can say, in the darkest moment, there was a peace like I had never experienced. If we went around the country and asked people about those things, we don't have enough time to hear the story of how God, by his peace, has given peace to his people. And so for us, when we talk about peace, it's saying it's not something we can generate. It's something we receive by a gracious father who sends his son to not only die for us, but to give us the very peace that the father has given to the son. And then he goes on to say, I mean, here's a passage from Galatians. We say, okay, well, how can we deal with this? What could we do? How do we know when we're having problems? Great passage. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, Hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, 
And he goes on to say in this passage, what about that peace? How do we deal with that? What is it that God has for us? Back to Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. We just read the passage about and listened to the passage about the fact that God gives us his peace. But where does that generate? How does it come from? The point is saying, as we are walking by the Spirit, through the leading of the Spirit, that's when we see the fruit of the Spirit coming. Love. Joy. You notice that love and joy, two of the ones in Advent. But this one in peace is particularly important. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. How do we get that fruit? It's by following. By humbling ourselves. By willing to deal with struggles when they come. By being willing to say, would you forgive me? I was wrong. Because that, when God works in our lives and like that, it can be transformative to not just as individuals, but as a congregation, as a people of the Lord. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Great passage goes on. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit... We must also follow that spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And it's saying, you can have peace. You can find peace in extraordinary ways. But what he's calling us to do is to live a life of humility, following him, dealing with issues, and that God can work through us to make a difference in the lives of others. Famous peace phrase, my peace I give unto you, it's a peace that the world cannot give. That's the beginning of the next song that we're going to be singing. My peace I give unto you. It's reminding us, saying, what God has given to the Father, the Son is now willing to give to us. And what he's asking us, will you follow me in the midst of your hurt, in the midst of your fear, that you can experience the very working of God in your life to give you the peace that maybe you've never experienced. Or maybe you've experienced many times. But you need that peace now for what your situation is. To find the peace that God is more than willing to give you through the power of his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can have that supernatural peace. And that, Father, that just as you gave it to your son and your son has given it to us, we thank you for that. We thank you that we can come to you in great confidence of knowing in the midst of a crazy world where we don't know what's going to happen in this next year, we don't know what's going to happen with our children, with our family, that in the midst of that, you've never abandoned your children, and we can have the peace that you can give to us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.